This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're going to ask the age-old, often repeated question. What's better at picking you a good wine, a mass spectrometer that deconstructs chemicals or astrology? I don't know a lot about chemistry, Rick, but I know that astrology is a bunch of bunk. That's because you're a Leo. (laughs) I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we are taking on a few maybe wacky theories about wine, including where those headaches might come from. We have some questions that might help you understand wine labels. And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs, even the ones who don't believe in astrology. Not that Paul's a wine wine snob. Stay with us. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're going to take on some wine-related info that's, you know, kind of out there. Yeah, what makes you think we're really good at stuff that's way out there? We are out there, Paul. (laughs) It's it's how we've been described. It's where we spend a lot of our time. We spend a lot of time out there. All right, well, you know, we get get a lot of questions about red wine headaches. Yes. And I ran across this theory. I kind of like it. Okay. Um, I'm not saying that it is true. I'm just going to relay it, and is I will. Is this part of your astrology defense? No, I have a different, entirely different defense. This is okay. this is part of my pretend journalism, where I lay things out and let you decide. Okay. Um, I have to tell you, though, I have to give credit to writer Blake Gray because he reported this. Good. Okay. Um, but it's a theory that comes from Chris Howell, who's the winemaker for Cane sure, Vineyard and Wine Cain. in Spring Mountain. He's a good guy, and that's a good wine. Yep. Um, and um, and his theory involves. Stress. It's stress. 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 Yes. Okay. But so let's. How does he explain it? Well, let's first. Let's just put this into context of what we know about red wine headaches. Right. We've talked. We've answered this question before, and what we do know, for example, it is not sulfites. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because sulfites actually create a different kind of allergic reaction. Exactly. That's not right. Related. I've often said that headaches actually are a result of alcohol, but. That's a common one. It is what the researchers mostly say. The sulfites, really, it's a respiratory uh, reaction, by the way. Um, And also, there are far, far fewer people who actually have any real sulfite allergies than than you might might think. think. Yeah, it's really, really tiny. Um, And, you know, lots of research talk about that alcohol is, is in all cases, uh, the first place to look. But there are, you know, they say as many as 200 things in wine that some people, that could give some people a headache. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So so there's a lot. And and so we know that. Wine snob. Give me a headache. Yes, they give me a stomach ache, actually. But <laughs> take that wine snobs. Um, but sometimes alcohol is not the culprit, and that is the case of this theory. That because it comes from our friend Chris Howell, and you know you get that. I, in fact, I have a friend who loves scotch. He drinks scotch, right? So scotch mm. is um, spends a lot of time in barrel like wines. Right. You know, it's yeah. you know he's had a, he has a couple of glasses of scotch when he's over. You know, when mm-hmm. he walks home, he lives down the block actually. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't get headaches from the scotch, but he gets headaches from one glass of red wine. Wow. So there's something in the red so wine. So what is it that Chris Howell thinks Well, this is. is what Chris... So he gets red wine headaches, which is a little unfortunate because he makes red wine. Yeah, he does. But he Actually, doesn't get red wine headache or doesn't get headaches from his wine. And he also says that he's one of those guys that, like, doesn't get headaches from vodka, which is also high alcohol. Right. And he says he can smell wines that will give him a headache. He's hmm. almost always right now. He's a winemaker. He probably has a you know, sensitivity. Fairly tuned, yeah. yeah. But he says it has to do with the yeast. And we need to explain that, you know, yeast comes a lot of different ways. 
some wineries, some wine uh, use naturally yeast that is on grapes. Yeast is on all almost right. all living things. On almost everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then some wineries, uh, commercial yeast is a is a, a denigrated a, 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 a cultured yeast. A cultured yeast, yes. which is that it, it, it can they can just, brew they, at a higher temperature or do sometimes well, even actually apart what flavors. they do is they take ambient yeast, yeah. the yeast that's in the air, and then they select out and they grow it until they have exactly the kind of yeast they want out. That's what cultured right. yeast is. Right. So it's is, not basically. it's not really Frankenstein yeast. It is right. just yeast. And sometimes, so some t- winemakers use those. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. this is Chris's theory. And he says, just like people, yeast work differently under stress. Hmm. And he says a high alcohol environment is stressful for yeast. And in fact, that's one of the things that happens with these kinds of yeast. So that yeast would, a lot of natural yeast only makes it to about 14, 14 and a half percent right. alcohol. That's right. So some of these yeasts that can handle higher. Howell believes that yeasts create different chemical compounds when they're dealing with higher amounts of sugar and alcohol. You know, mm-hmm. what yeast, yeah. we know they give off when they're making alcohol. We know that they, or what they're, what they, how they make alcohol is they eat sugar, right? And they give off heat, CO two, and and alcohol. And alcohol. That's the things. Right. So he says there's also another that is very possible that these stressed yeast give um, higher alcohol. So he's found, and this is Chris. He's found that when he drinks wines that are in lower alcohol, lower mm-hmm, alcohol mm-hmm. reds, and also when he uh, drinks wines that are natural yeast, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that are that can middle level to higher alcohol, that he gets very few or no wine headaches at all. Hmm. Um, and then sometimes he says he even gets high al- he gets headaches from high alcohol whites, like a high alcohol shard, because you can sure. find them at the 15. Yep. But that's going to take a special lease. So that's his theory. That's yeah, his theory. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced. I, he's a nice guy, and, and I know him. He's not a, he's no dummy. Yeah. But I'd want to see this tested in some in some different laboratory conditions rather than just Chris telling us what it is. Because to me, yeah, what he's identifying there is high alcohol wines, and if well, not al- all though, but they could be yeah, some high alcohol, higher, higher, higher alcohol, higher alcohol, higher alcohol right, wines. Right. But you yeah. know, if it's if the alcohol is causing causing the headache, then you know he may say, well, it's because it could just be more alcohol. Now he says mm-hmm. he doesn't get a headache from drinking vodka, but I'd want to see it in a laboratory yeah. before I just buy off on that. Well, or or your laboratory could be your kitchen, which is for somebody who does get red wine headaches is a lower alcohol red but and find one that is with natural yeast and you can generally find this certainly go to a wine shop they'll find you one which is the the yeast that was on the grape when it was growing nothing wrong with that and um, and see what happens yeah I, I the natural yeast part I find particularly um, uh, uh less believable because in many cases what happens in in California is the natural yeast on the grapes actually dies out pretty quickly in the winery and the natural yeast that's in the winery which is basically the cultured yeast that takes over so I don't think I'm not buying that and I think the natural yeast part comes around in that it it won't won't handle the higher alcohol I think that's where that comes from so try the lower alcohol red and see if that works Um, and if it doesn't lower alcohol Period. Yeah. If that doesn't work, just try vodka and, uh, and, and scotch. <laughs> and see how that works and, for you. I, now, here's another wacky one. Okay. Well, this is less wacky, and this could be interesting, and I kind of get a kick out of this, but it also it also gives me a headache in a way. It's a new, it's because anything that's confusing. This is our mass spectrometer thing. It comes from a new app. It's called Next Glass. Okay. It came out in the fall, but they're starting to sort of make some noise, and so... What they say they do is they have an app that will find you a wine in a way that Pandora works. 
Sure. Which is that it finds connected yep. to other ones you like. So what they say, what yep. they ask you to do is when you get the app, they ask you to wait to rate wines or beers. They do this for the beer too. Yep. So rate five of them, although that may not be enough. Yeah. And it, then they take that into what they call their genome cellar, which at the time when they um, when they came out, they had twenty three thousand wines or beers, which is a decent seller, but they have more now. So well, they'd have to. There's one hundred twenty five thousand yeah. wines on the market, and there are one hundred twenty five thousand new ones every year. So, right. but here's what yeah. it does. So it takes those those wines that you say you like or di- dislike. It analyzes them with a liquid chrom- chromatography mass spectrometer. Right. If you uh, right. If, if you watch CSI, they're always using sure. a mass spectrometer. Yeah. Anal- it analyzes the makeup of liquids and gases. Right. To and, to very 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 tiny right, degrees. Right. Right. Yeah. So they can they can pick out as much as twenty thousand individual chemical attributes of each right. liquid, and they create what they call a taste DNA. So in short, what it's doing is it's breaking down the chemical basis, the DNA of the wines you like and the wines you don't, and then it picks you a new wine. This is all done, by the way, at the University of Carolina Wilmington's lab. So they're you know they're they're trying to be serious about this, and they say that they say that they can predict within ninety six percent accuracy. I don't know why not not ninety five, but ninety six. The next the the it's a hundred point scale. Yes, there you go. (laughs) So well, you know. Intrinsically, it makes sense, but this is really not a lot different from Wine.com 15 years ago coming out with their, you know, the master sommeliers have this six or seven element chart where they identify everything from body to acidity to tannin to concentration, etc. And they list all these categories as a bar graph. And then they generate a bar graph for the wines you like. And Wine.com was doing this 15 years ago with a group of master sommeliers who tasted the wines and agreed where each wine fit on that sort of combination of bar graphs. And they could do the same thing. So the methodology absolutely makes sense. Is it fun? Oh, I you kidding? I say my mass spectrometer recommended this wine. <laughs> that's 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 so, romantic, isn't so it? So at the end of your name, instead of saying master sommelier, the this MS is, stands for yes, mass spectrometer. <laughs> no. Well, you can you can. There's some. There's clearly some potential problems too, which and some of them has to do with. You know, weight, rating wine, your own, you know, because it asks the customer to send to in the these are wines that I like sure. and don't like. Right. So you need to be pretty, you know, you can need to be pretty solid about that. For example, and we're going to get to this when we get to the astrology a little bit later in the I show, is, is like, for example, I, my wife happens to not like ports. Right. She doesn't like sweet wines in general, but really, really, yeah. it's just like the yeah. big the big alcohol of it or yeah. the, just the flavors yeah. of ports, particularly ruby ports. But, you know, this, so does that help? I mean, that's such a giant category. Well, here's, it, my, here's my problem in general with this is, and I, I, I love comparing wine to music. And how many times have you heard people say, oh, I don't like that kind of music? And then they hear one song and say, well, actually, that song I kind of like. Yeah. You know, that, well, that's that, the Pandora thing. Well, and part right. of the challenge here is... You know, it's easy to find a couple of wines people are going to like, but people's tastes evolve. And and I have, and I believe you do as well, fairly eclectic tastes in wine. We like a lot of different stuff. Now, is by giving them five wines, are we going to give them the information they need to identify what's in our cellar? Not even close. Well, you know, an NPR reporter, um, and you know, seeing as we are here at an NPR station, and I do some yes. work for the NPR station, I, I, I did. I do trust in NPR reporters implicitly. Actually, what <laughs> she did was she tried the the app, 
yep. and uh, with with beer and wine. Yeah. And with the five, it was way off. Uh-huh. So they said, "Give us more." So she gave them about fifteen. Yeah, and it then it got then it pretty good. Then it starts narrowing down a yeah. little more. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so some of the reason, some of it is is, is good input in, good input out. Right. Um, and but some right. of it is also your you know your your own ability to to judge. I I think another piece that is missing is simply as context. You know, wine is creature of the moment and of the food pairing and of the company. And, so I'm going to give you another yeah. two options, Rick. One option is getting this app. And then going into a grocery store and trying to find a bottle of wine you like based on this app and based on the fact that they have 25,000 wines in there and you're hoping some of the wines you like are the wines that are in their app, which happen to be the wines that are on your supermarket shelf. The other option Probably going to be more likely, actually. The other option is to walk into a local wine shop with a list of 15 wines you really like and asking the people behind the counter, help me find something to drink. Oh, yeah. Well, and sure. You'll it's get, way more fun, too. It's way more yeah. fun, and you'll probably get better answers. Well, these guys are trying to sell an app. You know? Yeah, well, you know, that's the way it is. I, yeah. I just want to say, here, honey, the mass spectrometer said we'd love this. That's right. All right. Rick Cushman, MS. Well, you think that's bad. Wait till we get to astrology, which is a little later <laughs> in the show. <laughs> this is Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, we'll take some questions. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to open our mailbag and take some questions from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can do that by going to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And by the way, look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free with one little bitty click. If you're new to us, you might want to know what qualifies us to be answering questions, and from what you've heard, uh, <laughs> not Paul, much. Not much, yeah, yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the astrology. <laughs> yeah, well, and we're you big will, experts on yeah, that. Yes, yes, we are. Uh, but uh, let me just say that Paul, until he start, got hooked up with me and my astrology questions, um, was a respected industry pro. He answers questions on places, places like allexperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley College and around the world. He runs a marketing company that is very well respected, despite the fact that sometimes he lets me help him out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And the only reason we let you help us out, Rick, is that you are here on Capital Public Radio as a wine commentator. You've written books about wine, best-selling books, I might add. Mm-hmm. So there are more than two people buy them. And re- regular wine judge, um, I assume we'll be judging a couple of wine competitions together later this year. Yep. So mm-hmm. lots of fun. Yeah. All right. Our first con- – and this is, here's, this is another bit of good news for us. It comes from Tracy Strong in Sacramento who is asked this question before. She has become wow. another loyal listener. We have too many to count, Paul. Too well, many. You, what you got your shoes on? Yeah, we no. I don't think it's that much. I, it's, I think I think we're up to four. Okay, maybe three. Use your fingers. Way more than two, though. I know we have way more than two. We are well above two. All right. Tracy asks. This is good too. Yep. And this is a very important question, by the way. She says, "Can you return a cork bottle of wine to a supermarket?" So to yes. get an answer, I asked our friend and contributor Hank Beal sure. from Nugget Market. Hank has been on the show before. He will be again. This is what he said. Absolutely, we can take a bottle back if the guest says it's not good. Simple enough. We don't question them. You can bring it back. But we do like to see most of the wine left in the bottle. If the wine is bad, you shouldn't have to drink the entire bottle to figure that out. Right. So what we can't do, and this is also important to know, you can't, they can't take back an unopened bottle of wine just because you bought Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm, That mm -hmm. is deemed as selling on consignment. 
in essence, you know, you use what you can and then don't use right. the rest. And that's illegal for retailers. Right. So they can't do that. And by the way, you do, new, do, right. do need your receipt. Right. So if yep. you buy a bottle of wine, hang on your receipt. I do because I, I try to write them all off, actually. Well, but I, mm-hmm. I will tell you a, a, a nice story about this because I buy um, wines for some of the classes I teach and, teach. and some of the wines I buy are – one of them is over $1,000 a bottle. And wait, wait, wait a minute. You poured a thousand dollar bottle of wine for your class. Yeah, can I a, sign up? Yeah, it's an expensive class. Yeah. But we, I ordered this wine from a wine shop, and sure enough, um, we're talking about the wine. I'm up up there lecturing. So one of the students opens the wine, pours it for the first two people, and one of the first two people in the class raises her hand and says, "This wine is corked." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, put the wine back in the bottle, put the cork back in it. I don't know what we can do, but let's see. And I called up the shop the next day, and the sh- and uh, this was a mail order bottle. I didn't, you know, I didn't even. This wasn't a local store. I bought it via a telephone call from a retailer, and they said we're going to ship you a new bottle of that wine. Ship the old bottle back to us, um, and we will provide the shipping container, and it will be all pre-labeled and everything. Needless yeah. to say, I have continued to buy a lot of wine from that shop, superlative yeah. service. But they, in fact, when they get a, most retailers, current releases, older wines more difficult, but current releases, they will actually um, call up their distributor and simply say, I have seven bottles here that have been returned to the shop and I need to store credit for them. And they will get them. And I know right. one of one of my, you know, I teach at the Culinary Institute of America and the sommelier there. Every time you walk into her office, she has six, eight, ten bottles that stacked up back, there that right. they're going to send back. As soon as a salesman shows up, she's going to say, right. yep, we need these wines and here are ten bottles we had a problem with. And, and the point, too, for, uh, for anybody out there who does get a bad bottle from a, uh, even a supermarket is – um, don't feel bad for them, for starters, because they will send it back. and They it, will get reimbursed. Yeah, and, and so will the distributor. And I sense yeah. it goes all the way back up the chain. The yep. other thing, too, is that Hank and some other uh, supermarket folks say is that they're not going to question you. So, hmm. you know, if you if you just don't finish the bottle, I mean, you know, like Hank said, there should be most right. of the wine back. But if, if you have a problem with the wine, they're not going to say, no, it's not corked. Right. They're not, they're not, they would, they would, right. one, if they're going to be smart enough to take it back, they wouldn't do it. But second, right. they're going to trust your judgment on that. So yep. don't feel bad about it. You should right. do that. So, Tracy, it's a really good question. Now, in a restaurant, I once watched someone return a bottle. And because the waiter there, the sommelier there knew me, brought the bottle over and said, Do you think there's a problem with this wine? Mm-hmm. And I s- tasted the wine and I said, Actually, I think this wine tastes perfectly good. He said, Oh, I do too. The couple over there returned it and we've agreed to go ahead and give them a different bottle of wine. But in the meantime, is there any reason we shouldn't sell this wine by the glass to customers? It's a really good bottle of wine and we can make people a really good deal. Yeah. So four or five diners that night got a sensational bottle of wine by the glass. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we should point this out because we've been using throwing the term around. We meant, we need, probably should define it too. You know, the corked means uh, there's a, a bacteria that gets in. It, it generally comes from the cork, although it can come from other places. It's called TCA. You don't need to know that. Yeah. Um, but what it does is it, it'll... It, at its worst, will take the make the wine taste like you know, wet cardboard or wet dog, mold, like moldy. your kitchen sponge. Yeah, it's actually it's actually a mold that eats chlorine and produces this chemical called tri two four six trichloranosol. Right, and um, the other thing it can do sometimes, and this is the 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 the, the more shame on you TCA, which is that it can sometimes just if it's not at great levels, can just dull the wine. Yeah. So so what you do, and we've talked about this in the past too, when you when you're tasting that pour of wine at a restaurant, what they're really asking you is is it does is there yeah. something bad about the wine and and if you 
if you find that there's something wrong with it, especially if it's a wine that you think you might know, and even if it's just really dulled down, you know, you should tell them. You should let them know that. And yeah. generally what they'll do is they'll take it back and then they'll bring it over to Paul and ask him if there's something really wrong. Well, or they'll, they'll, they'll bring you another bottle. But, you know, this is, this is a question of degree. And I have seen even professional winemakers tasting their own wines, not sure whether or not the wine was corked or not. And, you know, you're in a restaurant. It's a little bit like somebody bringing you your steak and you ordered it medium rare and you cut it open and it may just be a little more than... Yeah. Are you going to return it? Are you not? I mean, there's a... There's a judgment call in here, and don't take it too seriously. If the wine really is unpleasant, it's undrinkable, it's not going to give you pleasure, tell the waiter right up front, hey, I don't like this. Um, if it's reasonably good, if it seems like uh, you can drink it without problems, it's not something you want to make a huge issue about. No, you do not. We have a bunch more questions in the second half of the show, including some that help you decipher some labels, but we are closing up the mail slot for now like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. Coming up, some bad writing from people who should know better. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Yes, yes, yes. It's time. that time. It is that time. You could tell from the signs. So we're taking just a tiny different approach today. What we're going to do is we're going to explain why we don't really like that really horrible wine writing that's out there is because it does not help you. And we're going to explain that by showing you, reading you a few descriptions from both of these come from re- pretty reputable sources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and how, and try, dear listener, <laughs> try to, to decide which wine you would like based on these descriptions. Okay, so I'm going to start with some burgundies. And, Rick, I want you to tell me which one of these would be your favorite okay, based on these Okay, I'll pay attention. Are you ready? You gotcha. Number one, spicy, lingering flavors of red fruit. I like it. Number two, complex, tightly knit with red fruit flavors. Oh, I like that too. Number three, graceful and harmonious with lingering flavors of red fruit. I'm starting to see a pattern. Number four, harmonious with flavors of spicy red fruit. Wow. Number five, well-structured with flavors of rich, supple red fruit. Ooh. And number six, lingering, savoring flavors of spicy red fruit. Of course. Well, I think I'm going to get the wine that has the spicy red fruit in it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That'll be helpful. Yeah. yeah. So we've got spicy, supple, and lingering, and in some cases they're 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 doubling up. Spicy and lingering shows up a and couple times. And every single one of them is red fruit flavors. Yes. Yes. Well. Well. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is from a very reputable writer, by the way, who's and, very good at times. And he's, you know, he's giving you information, but the problem is here, if he's giving you these descriptions of all these wines, how do, how do I you, choose? How do you pick one how over the other? How do I pick? I think, like I say, I'm getting the red fruit. I want the one with the gold on the label. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, yours are Burgundy's, mine's are Cabernet's. Okay. This is from a website that is trying to sell you these wines. Good. And, um, and their, their, their writer is also a pretty reputable critic. Yep. These are cabs. Bright berries and black currants along with mocha and spice. Black, black cherry black currant with plums, mocha, and licorice. Dense black currant, blackberry, black licorice, touches of cinnamon, and baking spice. I need to say those are the same thing. Lovely black currant, black cherry, blackberry, notable hints of oak. That's the change. And um, this was from Robert Parker. Exhibits chocolatey, blackberry, black cherry fruit intermixed with earth and spice. Okay. 
Those are all Cabernets. Yeah, they are. And they've all got, they've got they've black all got fruit, what you want in Cabernet. black currant, black cherry, and yep. spice. But how you pick one over the other, I have no idea. Yeah, well, I'd go for the one that's got cinnamon and baking spice because apparently it's got a lot of baking spice. Well, I mean, the other thing to say here is there's a lot of really good Cabernet out there. And how do you pick? The answer is maybe you just pick the one. If they all taste like this, you pick the one that costs the least, right? There you go, because they all have the same flavors. That's the yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the problem. That is the problem. And you know, the, the you 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 often bring this up, and I think it's a really good point in defense of these poor guys and women, um, which is that they have a lot of wines to get through, and they're sort of jotting down things. Yeah. But but they also every week they got to write something. right, and so so they got to find a way to fix that. That's you know, it's mm. either don't write as many wines or taste right. different kinds Tell or stories. do something. Tell us a story Tell so I can help story. help them help us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We, uh, we will be right back. We will have uh, some more questions in the second half of the show, plus our history segment. So stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Yes, those trumpets. I love those trumpets. They bring me back to yesteryear. And they mean it is time for some history moments. So uh, we are uh, we're going south of the border for our history. South of the border and back, back, back in time. Back in time. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So my, my question is, uh, Rick, when the Spanish conquistadores, when Cortez and then later Pizarro came to the New World, they brought only two agricultural products that they wanted to plant in the New World. Everything else they planned, they, lived, they were going to live off the land except for two things. And my question I, to you is? I can guess it. One of them. Yes. We're, we're a wine show, right? <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we talk about it. Okay. So one's a grapevine. What's the other one? Corn. Wheat. No, Wheat. corn's an American product. Oh, that's right. I got that backwards. Though. There you yeah. go. So why would they have brought wine and wheat? Beer and wine. Close, no cigar. In fact, it was because the Spanish conquistadores had two goals in coming to the New World. One of them was to find as much gold as possible and make themselves fabulously wealthy and go home. And the second one was to convert everyone here to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that without celebrating Mass. Oh. And what do you need for Mass? Mm -hmm. You need the host, wheat, and you need the wine. Well, and so they needed the bread and the wine to celebrate Mass. That's why they brought those two products. Mm -hmm. Well, and they also, of course, needed um, needed wine to travel. They needed alcohol to travel because remember yes. water. So that yep. not knowing. Um, and I thought that Cortez wanted to open a wine bar, which is where my item <laughs> comes from. You know, uh, Cortez uh, arrived in Mexico 1519, just so you know when we're talking about. And in uh, 15, actually, I, uh, 1520, right. yeah, 1521, he took control of uh, a city that Montezuma had ruled. It was in the Valley of Mexico. Right. High altitude, 7,000 feet. Through some, uh, some trickery, he managed to, uh, he, he told King Montezuma that they were going to be friends and then betrayed him. But uh, when he took over, um, he eventually ended up conquering and running a place where he commanded that anybody who was going to move into that area had to plant a vineyard. Yes. That Every area, Spaniard had to plant 200 vines. Right. And that area was, of course, would become Mexico City. And why didn't they plant those vines? There's, a, there's, a, there's the rest of the story here. Because they're at 7,000 feet. And no, they were fighting. They were, I don't know why. 
Because the Spanish king got a tax on all wine produced in Spain. He did not get a tax on wine produced in the New World. So he allowed the missionaries to plant grapevines for religious use in the New World. But anyone who did not want to use the wine, anyone who's producing wine for non-religious purposes was outlawed in the New World so the King of Spain could keep getting his tax dollars. And it's interesting that when they passed Prohibition, remember, one of the reasons you could still make wine even after Prohibition... Was for religious purposes, Religious right? purposes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you can see how far we've evolved in yeah, yeah. 400 years. Yeah, right. Well, at least we're not... At least we're, we're not still believing in astrology. Is that right, Rick? Well, no, actually, we sort of are. <laughs> we sort of are, which brings up our next point. <clears throat> so there is... You know me and my studies. Oh, I good. I found myself a study from the National Science Foundation. Yes. They're not happy about this. Um, that It says fundamentally that 45% of Americans think that astrology is a science. That's the highest level since 1983. Actually, here's a good question for you, Rick. Would it be harder to write a new wine description every week or a new astrological prediction every week? Because you're doing the same thing in both of them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, we're going to have to go down that road in just a moment. Okay. But here's what it said, actually, was that um, when they were asked the question, only 55% of Americans checked the box that said astrology is not a science. Uh, 32 thought it was sort of scientific. 10 said very t scientific. Among those is Katy Perry. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, she thinks it's uh, it's what she told GQ in any case. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and and actually, what's happened? You know, it was as high as sixty-two percent uh, checked that box as, as recently as two thousand ten. So, um, so, our, so we're going our, we're going backwards. If you don't believe, however, mistrust of astrology is actually declining. Yes, which is why I am bringing this up because we've talked about. Um, uh, the mass spectrometer helping you choose? Yes. Now we're going to talk about the stars. Okay, good. So you, you do realize that the astronomical signs of the zodiac were were actually created and identified back in the Babylonian times, and the Earth has actually moved in its precession since then. So all of this stuff's about a couple thousand years off from what it used to be. Yeah, well, I'm not going to let that stop me. Okay. All right. So, Paul— Well, if, you're, if your choices are wrong here— I'm going to suggest that maybe you haven't you haven't adjusted them for procession. Uh, that's true. And we could, could go move. back and check them. Yeah, well, that, there you go. That's going to be our, my backup excuse. All right, Paul, so your sign is? I am a Leo, Leo well, the lion. Yeah, well, that actually makes some sense what I know about you because you fit the character. Oh, no, wait, I'm not supposed to know that. Um, <laughs> among the things... Actually, Rick, I should have asked you, listen, if astrology makes so much sense, you should be able to tell me immediately what I am based on my descriptions, and you don't need to know when I was well, born. Well, it says you are outgoing and confident. I would uh, I would say that Fine. is you. It says your your, old, your wine is uh, one of your favorites. Actually, not really. Old wine's in. Yeah, which it, it's not. It's not. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, we checked in with our um, our producer and engineer Matt Passini. He is a Sagittarius. He is big and bold, according to our astrology signs, and he likes Cabernet. Thumbs up on that. He's literally shaking his head in there. He is not a Cabernet. Ah, uh, so come on, Matt will drink okay. anything. Right. I've seen him. I am a Gemini. Yes, you are. It says, I am extra bright and vibrant. Oh, Lord. Yes, I am. And what, wait a minute. Who's, who's, that is me, bright and vibrant. astrological uh, descriptions see, are these? This is, this is why it's such a great science. <laughs> <laughs> it says my wine is Chardonnay. Now, I like Chardonnay. I rarely drink it. 
Yeah. It's I, only because I, there's other wines out there. And actually, I should not say I rarely drink it. I actually do drink it often. I rarely choose it because other people often choose it. So I choose something else because I know it's going to be out there. Because so it is, you're, is, what is it, something I'm, vibrant? I'm bright and vibrant. Because you're bright Extra and vibrant. Extra bright and Extra vibrant. bright and vibrant, yeah. Oh, so uh, cancer. My wife is cancer. I, look, I had to look this one up. Cancer, um, and it said that they're emotional. Uh-huh. And because they're thin-skinned, cancers boy. like Pinot, but they also like Port. Those are really my wife's two least favorite wines. Are they really? Particularly Port, as we were yeah, mentioning I'll bet earlier. she really likes being yes. described as thin-skinned and emotional, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. She's <laughs> going to smack me around for that. She'll be an angry... No, I'm not. And Margaret. What is Margaret? Uh, Margaret is a Libra. It says she's versatile and spicy. I'll let you well, just define that. she's a chef, so she's certainly yes. spicy. Yeah. It says her wine is Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, I think if I think if she had to pick a wine as her favorite, it would be uh, Bordeaux Cabernet Merlot blend. Well, that is so close to Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is completely. I'm All going right. with the mass spectrometer. Of I am, astrology. I'm, I'm going with the mass spectrometer myself. I think astrology is not going to do it. You know, this is where, where and it's so close to the uh, the where the uh, equinox, right? Where it, uh, we're just two, two days just after two days the equinox. After. So, so that's right. So the these should be equinox. working perfect. They should be spot on. You know, uh, you know, the other thing is you're supposed to be able to balance an egg on its end uh, on the on the equinox. Um, Rick, you'll believe anything. I tried it. I have a, I have a, uh, a cell phone picture I sent around. It doesn't work. <laughs> There's a splat on the, on the kitchen floor to show that. Okay. Well, there yeah. you are, and that's why people wonder about us answering questions, which we are going to do when we come back. About You're astrology? Li- <laughs> no, about, about wine. I see questions in our future. Yes, there you go. You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. We will be right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We are back. We're done with astrology for a while. We're <laughs> Thank instead, God. instead of answering questions on about something we almost know as little about <laughs> food and wine. No, not not so true. All right, we have a couple of questions that uh, that actually could be useful. Uh, unlike once again, unlike most of what we <laughs> unlike do, unlike the other, certainly ones. unlike the astrology segment. Um, first one is from Carolyn Sachs in Cupertino, and she says uh, she says. Uh, what does vintage mean? I see that on bottles like Vinted by Smith & Jones Winery. Well, yeah. I happen to know the backstory of that one. Okay, yeah, because you worked with a winery that vintage some vint- things. That they actually came up with the phrase. Yeah. Um, it was invented by the folks at Barefoot. My book, the last book, right. was about Barefoot Wine. And, um, and they, what they were looking for, there are all these phrases on, uh, on wine labels that really don't mean much. Right. You know, uh, you know bottled by. Well, the only thing about bottled by is that it has to be bottled at the at the in the location that appears on the label. Where about at? Well, we're going to get to that in in our next question when we're talking about a state bottled versus a state grown too, which is even more in that down road. But you're right. right. Um, but there's lots of where you can be, and so there's produced, grown, yeah, harvested. Those are all interesting words that don't actually mean very right, much. But, Blended, but what aged. Hap- what happened to for them was they were you know barefoot is uh, they they were buying grapes from all over this all over the world at this point they were making uh, it's now the, one the largest selling wine brand on the planet but at the right. time they're you know four hundred five hundred thousand cases so they're buying wine and their their idea was to make an inexpensive wine that was very consistent so this is clearly right. not a, a, a product of place but really right. of, of of a recipe of sorts. Um, and in any case, they wanted to put something on the label that didn't automatically advertise to wine writers and others who knew that this was not something special. 
So uh, they they tried the word vinted. Mm-hmm. They came up with vinted, right. and back then right. uh, put it on the label. You had to be, had then had to be approved by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Right now it's the TTB, the taxing folks. Um, and they brought it to the window and to the clerk, and the clerk immediately rejected it. Said this is not a word that is part of the lexicon. It is interesting. It is interesting that the person who makes wine is called a vintner. Yeah, so but apparently they can't vint things. Yes, well, it was not part of quote unquote the lexicon, the lexicon. A- according to the clerk. So they came back the next day and applied again because now there's a different clerk. Different clerk. Stamp approved. Boom. Gone. Excellent. See? So, so the answer to your question, Carolyn, it really doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's but just, almost it's, none I mean, of they're those, the company behind it. Almost none of those terms mean things that you know the grown, harvested, blended, all of those are aged, mellowed, yeah, mellowed by handcrafted by Smith and Jones Winery, yeah. handcrafted. Yeah. There, yeah. yeah. The only one that really means something is bottled. If it says bottled. It has to be bottled where it, the the bonded winery is located. Yes, but that means it's where it's bottled, not where it's grown. That's where the bottling line is. Yes, right, That's right, right. That's the only thing it means. Which brings up our second question on this subject okay. from Anthony Sands of Bakersfield. And he wants to know what the difference is between estate bottled and estate grown. And these are words that actually do mean something. Yes, although it's not as simple. It's it's the wine business, so it's going to be more complicated. <laughs> yes, it's wine. What it, it makes means no sense. is that the wine has to be, in the case of grown or in the case of bottled, grown and bottled by the winery in the appellation where the winery is. So it's a little odd, for example, um, the, the I, I like to use the example of a winery in Napa that's in, let's say, Rutherford. And they have a vineyard in Rutherford and they have a vineyard in Oakville. Now, those are right next to each other. In fact, in fact, they are not just next to each other. They literally are contiguous so that you could own a single vineyard that would be half in Oakville and half in Rutherford. They can call the wine they bottle Napa Valley estate-grown Cabernet. Estate-grown, right, but not estate-bottled. They can call it estate-bottled Napa Valley Cabernet. But they can't call it Rutherford because some of it comes from Oakville. So they can't call it estate-bottled or estate-grown Rutherford because some of it is grown. Well, in- they can't even call it estate-grown Rutherford if it's all grown in Rutherford, but it's bottled in Oakville. That's right. It has to be in the same place. So let's say they have two vineyards, one in Oakville, one in Rutherford. The Rutherford one can be estate-bottled if the winery's in Rutherford. The winery and the vineyard are in the same place. They can both be a state bottle. That, that can be a state bottle. If the winery's in Rutherford and the vineyard's in Oakville, can't be a state bottle. Right. Even if they can, but they can't be. If they call it Napa Valley, because then that's a larger. Region, then it's a right? larger area, right. and then they can call it a state bottle. Right, which is more. So that's why. But in theory, just to try to keep this simple, because because like it's said, the wine it's, business. It it's ain't the wine simple. business. It ain't simple, right? Right. But so bottled means both. 100% controlled vineyard and bottled at the winery at right. the site. Right. Grown in the Appalachian, not at in, the site. In the, in the Appalachian. In the Appalachian, right. Right. In, in, but at your winery in the Appalachian. Right. Grown means it's your grapes, your vineyard on your estate in the Appalachian. Right. But it can be bottled somewhere else. It could be bottled somewhere and else. And frankly, that's also a newer phrase to allow wineries 
we have our friends in, at Wente, and they were telling me this story because they have two large holdings. They have Arroyo Seco and That's right. uh, and Livermore and Valley. Livermore Valley. And but they're they're larger winemaking facilities in Livermore Valley. And so right. they, when they, if they took their grapes, their grapes from their vineyards in the Arroyo Seco area in Monterey, they couldn't put a state on the bottle, even though it was completely theirs. N- not only completely theirs, but they pretty much created that appellation, they created that appellation and, and, right. and built the whole app. Yeah. So a state grown yeah. a state grown is a newer a legal yeah. phrase so that at least it, it you understand that that winery is completely in charge yeah. of, of the the vineyards which is really the most important part to it but anyway. what's sad about the whole conversation is that these you know the terms that consumers see on labels they would like to have this very simple clear understanding but what they have to understand is these terms are all negotiated by teams of lawyers from right. some of the biggest wine companies in the world before anybody finally gets an approval on what that term means. And by the time it's gone through that process, it, it's not simple. And half the time they are designed as is vinted to yeah. confuse you. Yeah. So, yeah, Anthony, good luck. Uh, yes. if, you, if you're not sure, call Paul. Uh, ask him, so what is, is this? Is this an okay? Well, no, it's... Um, um, <laughs> I'd be happy to But a state does mean, you know, when you do see a state, the, the good news is a state, if it's a state something, it generally means that winery was in charge of... Of, uh, of, of growing the, the grapes yeah. and making the wine. Right. Basically. Right. So, yes. so that, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. All right. This one is, um, well, uh, it's from Steve Christopher in Roseville. Hmm. Um, I kind of like this question because, you know, it's, it's true. This is back to our knuckle-headed old wine writers now and then. Because uh, he doesn't explain it. Uh, Steve Christopher in Roseville says, I see stuff about wine that says, drink now. When else would I drink? Am, <laughs> am I supposed to always buy wine for some distant future, like buying a new house on Mars? That's a great question because you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. The truth is that 99 plus percent of the wine in the world right. is designed to be drunk with when you buy it. It's right. designed to be bought at the store, taken home. And drunk. Now, you can leave it around for a few weeks, a few months, and nothing really horrible is going to happen to it. But it is not, I mean, it's just a tiny, tiny percentage of the wine in the world is designed for you to buy, take, put in your temperature controlled cellar, left there for 20 years, and pulled out for your daughter's 40th birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not. Well, and it's with the realization that, you know, they used to have to. Age wines because winemaking mean, used to be you know, decades and decades ago because winemaking was a lot they had a lot le- fewer tools and so that you know wine well, and they were making wine for a different market and they were making wine for a different market and so that that it was the natural thing was that everybody had a seller of some sort who drank these expensive wines and right. they put them away and then and the, so the wines needed to mature they needed as they to said in Brideshead Revisited but sir if we don't buy any of the 1929s what will we be drinking in 19 19- 1945. There you go. Yes. I know that's a question that comes up in it, your house. Yes, all the time. And we, we say that. What will we be drinking in 29? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and but it's also with the realization this is how most people, and particularly Americans, this is how we age wine. We buy at the store. Everybody, not we, just we, Americans. We, it's true. We, we buy it, we drive it home. That's, That's it. right. And if there's traffic, and you've heard me say this before, if there's traffic, you have to drive carefully so it's careful aging. Well, and you know, it's one of those things. How many people live in apartments these days? Yeah. No wine cellar, and not just here, but everywhere in the world. Yeah. Don't it, have don't have a wine cellar, don't have a place to age the wine. Wine is to be drunk. It's wine is to be drunk. So the drink now means it's a normal wine. Um, and what happens, <clears throat> one of the other things that we tend to make fun of also, uh, of wine critics sometimes, is... The uh, recommendations that you can drink now through 2029. Right. 
so they're just looking in there. You know what that is? It's astrology. There you go. They're, they're reading the signs. <laughs> well, and what signs are they reading? Because uh, it's not, you know, the, the, the sad part is wine changes over time. So they may be saying that it's going to it's going to adver- add age. It's going to add complexity. It's going to soften. It's all. But trust me, <clears throat> the wine you drink now is going to taste darn different from the draw- wine you're drinking 15 years from now. Right. Well, same bottle. <clears throat> it's going to taste different. This is always the point that we make, too, that, you know, when wine when drinking old wines, there's lovely things about old wines, but they're different. Yeah. We, there's a lot of folks that think it's like cooking a stew, you know, where the, the longer it simmers, the bigger the flavors get. Right. But if you like a red, a, a nice rare steak, you're not going to enjoy the stew. It's true. And some wines taste really good as steaks and don't taste very good as stew. There's a reason why you use different cuts of meat for each thing. Yeah, I was I was going to do a wine and stew joke, but the, the the you actually do put wine into stews sometimes. Yes, so you do. I, I have I have no yes, I have nowhere do. to go with that. I have... But you can get stewed if you put the wine in you. Well, that's true. And if you don't eat with it, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, we have, I think we have time for one more. Do we? Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is from uh, John Decker in Modesto. This uh-huh. is actually a, a, a complicated question, so we'll answer this a little bit more quickly and then maybe give a longer answer on another show. But he asked, what makes sweet wine sweet? Do they yep. add sugar, honey, or is it something else? Or is it, the, and is it the same for all sweet wines? It's not all the same. Um, but the basic answer is it is illegal to add sugar to wine, except in very special circumstances. Right. So wine is sweet because somehow that yeast didn't eat all the sugar and left some of it in the wine. Now, there are different ways you can make that happen. You can pick the grapes when they are so sweet that the yeast can't possibly consume it all. Right, and those are often late harvests, as we call right? them. Right. You can pick the fruit when it's quite young and fresh and then chill the wine down to where it's so cold that the yeast stops working and filter the yeast out. All of those are different ways. But basically, if a wine has sugar in it, it's because something stopped that yeast from eating all the sugar. And the sugar that is left in the wine is almost certainly the natural natural sugar of the grapes. There is one uh, major exception, and that is in sparkling wines, where they, that the way sparkling wine is made is it's, in, in essence, made twice. It's right. made into normal wine, and then right. a second wine, the dosage, is added, where they, and then the, the bottle is sealed. And when the yeast eat the sugar, the byproduct is alcohol and CO2, and the right. bubbles stay in the wine. So if that, that added wine, that dosage, has some sweetness to it, then that, that sparkling wine will be a little sweeter. Yep. So that is that is uh, one way that it is added. It's really the only way that it's legally added. Yeah. Although if it's yep. in the sweet wines like port, sometimes the alcohol it, it itself actually makes it a slightly bit sweeter as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I hope but that they qu- don't add honey. They don't add sugar. Yeah. It's pretty much the natural sugar of the, the sweetness they of the grape. They did used to do that in the old days to make the wine not taste like vinegar, but that's a whole different problem. And it should be pointed out that the grapes they use for wine are way sweeter than the grapes yes. you buy in the yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is actually, you know, if you taste wine during during harvest, a taste of grape during harvest. Yeah, it's about fifty percent sweeter. It's in this, yeah. it's got fifty percent more sugar than the, the table bricks, grapes a, a table you buy in the, in the grocery right. store. Yeah, yeah, yep. and they're really delicious. <laughs> they should they should use use those. <laughs> they something. should use those for something. Yeah. All right, that's it for the questions for now. We've got a couple minutes left in the show, and we feel like we need to do a food and wine pairing as we always do. Excellent. If you'd like to ask us a question for next week's show or any show. Go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine, and that food pairing is coming right up.
You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we are doing a food pairing. I thought I'd check in with Next Glass and an astrologer to see how they would do with this, but, you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's too complicated for me. Um, so I thought it's down to us. But, you know, it's spring. Spring is here. Lots of veggies. I'm going to do – this is a little complicated, but this is one of my favorite things. It's what I, you know, make a lot during the week. It's a vegetable stir-fry. Okay. So, you know, you've got yep. all these spring veggies coming out. Broccoli's around. Now yep. you've, got, you've got green onions and bok choy and, uh, you know, this little bit of herbs for spice. Lots of herbs for spicing. Can we now throw a little pork or shrimp fresh. or something in you there, too? You could put any meat that okay. you'd like. Good. Yes, yep. yes. Me, I yep. tend to do the chicken thing myself. But, yep, any yep. one of those okay. work. Good. Going to put a little pepper. So what you've got is this lively green, yep. you know, slightly, slightly yep. uh, live kind of a thing. Any fresh, light white wine. Yep. So Gruner Veltliner from... from from Austria, Gruner means green, so you got the greens going there. That's kind of a nice combo. Vino Verde, Vino Verde, which is which also is, green. That's, yeah, that's um, a Riesling, Gewürztraminer are nice. But the, the other side of this that I would put in briefly, and I had some of this just the other night, is a very fresh floral sake served cold. I like it. I like it. It's, Not from it, grapes, it, but no, no, still it's tastes right. good. It's with rice this wine. Stuff. It counts. It counts. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Now, I actually, I, I. Not sure. I, I got to tell you, I'm not sure this is a good pairing, but it's one of my favorites with a stir fry. Yep. It's a bright Barbera. Uh-huh. Yep. I just like the brightness. Yep. I think it's- yeah. Well, you're bright and vibrant. Uh, bright and vibrant. I'm extra bright and vibrant, <laughs> and I that's it. So, but that's your it. Okay. So, it turns out that the astrologer was right after all, Rick. Uh, yes, that I am a bright and vibrant guy. That's it for a bright and vibrant <laughs> bottle talk with Rick and Paul. The stars say uh, thank you very much to our engineer, Matt Bassini, and to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question, we'll try to answer it, or we'll get a mass spectrometer to tell you. <laughs> but you can go to rickandpauline.com, all one word, and look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free with just a click. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's be wary of wine advice from someone who asks you your sign. I'll say. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Leo Paul Wagner. <laughs> there you are. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us. 